You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous, the podcast about Broadway flops, scandals, and new work. I'm your host, Ebony Vines. And I'm your host, Pamela Shandro. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Theater Geeks Anonymous podcast on the Broadway Podcast Network and all your favorite podcast listening apps. Thank you. All righty. Here we go. <laughs> Welcome. What's up, theater geeks? It's good. I cleaned out my pipes. What is up? <laughs> <laughs> my vocal pipes. <laughs> Got to clean them out every once in a while. Clean them out. <laughs> I added a tropical virtual background, with which our podcast <laughs> listeners will not ever see. Nope. But I felt it were appropriate for uh, today's episode. And also today's balmy 12 degree weather. Okay, <laughs> we, okay, New York City, we got this yeah. thing called a bomb cyclone that came through. Winds. Oh, that's were, what that, that's what that's that what was. They called it. Yeah. That's okay. What they called it. So I don't know if you went out at all last night, but. I took the dogs for their final pee of the evening around 930 yeah. and we almost didn't make it back. <laughs> we almost <laughs> just blew away. It was so fast and like hitting you straight, like it coming straight at you, like sideways wind. It was nuts and it was so cold. Yeah. And like, then we, you know, everyone was all, you know, inside the bed and everyone was nice and warm and cozy. Yeah. And so I thought when I woke up this morning that it must be warmer now. <laughs> <laughs> wrong false wrong it might be a little bit warmer than it was when it was 50 miles per hour wind <laughs> but not by much <laughs> I I went out like around um, 6 30 something like that ran to the yeah, grocery it wasn't store. bad then because yeah that was when I was walking back from work it wasn't terrible then I'd heard it I heard the wind though like a few times before and then yeah. like later in the evening like you're saying that's yeah. you know like was the crazy. house was shaking yeah yeah it was nuts yeah yeah it really was <laughs> it was I the was it last week I think it was last week was when we had that squall yeah which is a, my favorite <laughs> like that that word is hilarious to me <laughs> Cool. And I just, I just, it makes me so just like a random burst of snow. I love it. Cause I do yeah. not snow, 
but also just the word squall. I'm just really, it's it's a great word. It is. It's super (laughs) fun. You think it's a bird, but it's not. Nope. Just sounds like what they say. (laughs) It's a random burst of snow. Um, so yeah, that has nothing. It's just so different than the show we're going to talk about today. (laughs) Yes. It couldn't be more night and day, like couldn't possibly be. So today's episode is about, um, the Jimmy Buffett musical Escape to Margaritaville. (laughs) I should have made myself like a little tequila based cocktail. I don't have any tequila in my apartment, so that would have been really difficult. <laughs> I've got was, some Prosecco. That's about as close <laughs> as I can get. <laughs> I, I don't even have that. I have, I have, um, uh, my friend Dave would be very proud because you can't see it because of my, vir- my virtual thing. <laughs> All I can see is Tiki Hut. <laughs> I know, I know. But um, no, I'm drinking a watermelon fizz stick, which is, Ooh. you know. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you know what that is. And so uh, that the watermelon, I guess, is as close to tropical (laughs) as I have besides, you know, the virtual background that the listeners (laughs) uh, can't see. So that's not not a visual forum we have here. It's not. (laughs) It's not. It's not. It's not. Uh, Yeah. So. okay, so I want to just give a caveat. As you all listen to this episode, if any of you happen to be parrot heads, I just need you to know that this little black girl didn't grow up. Like I maybe had heard some Jimmy Buffett songs, but it wasn't like Ebony, this is Jimmy Buffett. You know what I, my father had tons of records. I mean, he had piles of records growing up, but it was not you know, J- there was not, not Jimmy Buffett. That I mean, wasn't, that's, that's fair. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Yeah. I yeah. Really. I mean, I know the name Jimmy Buffett and I honestly yeah. couldn't tell you any songs that are attributed to him. I might recognize them when you say them. Totally. Yeah. 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 But I, and- if you, if someone pointed a gun in my face and said, tell me a Jimmy Buffett song or else I'll shoot, I would not be able to. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only reason I would be would have been able to before this, again, listen, y'all, don't come for me. Please don't come for me. Okay, was a cheeseburger in paradise because I had been to the restaurant a couple of times. <laughs> okay, I haven't even done that. See, I, I don't, I listen, no judgment. Listen, no, there is no judgment because <laughs> art is subjective and yeah. something that you like I don't. And something that I like, you don't. And that is fine. That is Mm -hmm. fair. And that should be respected. But in order to give, because I came from the, to this show with such ignorance, like just such (laughs) total ignorance, I was like, I will absolutely listen to the cast recording, which full disclosure, I do every single time I do an episode. You're very good about that. Um, and then, uh, I was listening to, um, this podcast called the parrot head podcast. It's literally just like these two men who just love Jimmy Buffett. Okay. And they had an escape to Margaritaville um, episode when they had driven to San Diego to see it at La Jolla. Okay. 
And they mentioned that there's a parrot head documentary. And so I watched the documentary because I was like, I don't want to like, I'm again, ignorance. I don't want to come to this with just like some whatever preconceived notions I might have about this people group. Like that's not fair. Sure. I don't like it when people do that to, to the people groups in which I belong to. So I don't want to do that to these individuals and my goodness, they are the philanthropic work that they do just even for each other. That's awesome. I mean, some of them have literally been near death and they have raised money to save their lives or make their lives better. I mean, you know, so many, uh, people who, who, um, identify themselves as parrot heads have, have just done beautiful things for each other. And so, um, I, I'm, I will not be disparaging these folks. So I'm going to start with a bit of, um, backstory because y'all know that's what I really enjoy is (laughs) I always find the backstory to be sometimes more fascinating than the plot. And then if ever, you know, like in times like shuffle along, which we did, y'all know, I love the crap out of that, um, musical. But it's like the sweet spot, right? Because it is uh, the backstory inside of a musical. You know, it's just like, it's like, right, right. My sweet spot. (laughs) Yes. So this is just a list of some of my resources. Others I'll mention within. And then, of course, I just mentioned that podcast, which I didn't really take much information from, if any, except that there was a documentary. And, oh, P.S., if you would like to watch that documentary, it's free on Amazon Prime. It's also free on Pluto, and it's also free on Tubi if you have any interest whatsoever. What's it called? It's called Parrot Heads. Okay, nice. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so other resources are Side by Side by Susan Blackwell with Lisa Howard. Christopher Ashley's interview on one-on-one with Steve Adubato. Uh, the San Diego Union Tribune from May 29th, 2017 uh, by James Herbert. Uh, the Broadway.com shows 2018 interview with Jimmy Buffett uh, done by Paul Wantrick. Mike O'Malley's interview with the o- Ogonquit Playhouse uh, for this past summer. Um, like I said, the Parrothead documentary, Meet the Press at the Marquee Theater before preview. So this was like a um, the cast and creative team met the press at the theater. Cool. Wikipedia, as always. <laughs> um, AZ Central by Ed Masley from September of 2021. And then uh, New York Ticks, June 2018. Karen Carter always gives like great information about the budgets for shows. Oh, nice. And so I, this had like really you know, a lot to let me know about that. Mm -hmm. Great. So that's, that's where I got a bulk of my information were from these resources. Okay. So the description of Escape to Margaritaville is that it features original songs and Jimmy Buffett classics. The new musical tells the story of a tropical island resort and it's part-time bartender, part-time singer, Tully Mars, who thinks he's got life all figured out until an environmental scientist tourist named Rachel steals his heart and makes him question everything. Oh my. 
Uh, I've heard that about those environmentalists. <laughs> <laughs> like, cause she's really all about like, how can we make the world a better place? And he's just been like playing the field and partying. So, you know, <laughs> right. So that's really, you know, switched his head around. Oh, there's other people in this world. Wow. Oh, <laughs> it's interesting. I didn't think about that. And maybe I should spend time thinking about them. I didn't, you know, realize I should maybe do that. So, wow. She's really helped me know. Poor um, Rachel. She's taking on a lot of responsibility. It's a lot here. of work. Lots of work. Um, all right. So backstory, actor, writer, Ma Mike O'Malley. Okay. Do y'all know that name? Pamela, I do you know? know that name, but yeah. Where do you know Mike O'Malley from? I can't place it. Glee. He was the dad on Glee. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Also right now he's on Snowpiercer. Okay. I don't know. I'm not familiar with that, but okay. Um, so he met Jimmy Buffett 15 years before the musical premiered because they'd created a multicam sitcom together based on Jimmy's songs called Tales from Margaritaville. Um, unfortunately, that show didn't get picked up, but Jimmy had wanted to create a musical around his music for years. He'd grown up loving musical theater as his mother would take him and his siblings to see many shows. And she'd also been in a number of local productions where he grew up around the Gulf Coast. So he was like a, he was like a geek, like the rest of us, you <laughs> yes. know? Um, and the, so, like I said, the network show didn't get picked up, but they still remained friendly. And in 2013, Frank Marshall, who's Jimmy Buffett's friend and manager, and also happens to be a film producer, one of the things he produced is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, he reached out to Mike O'Malley and asked if he'd write the book to the musical. Okay. Mike said yes. And then he reached out to his friend, Greg Garcia, who had co-created Yes, Dear, which is another show Mike O'Malley was on. Okay. And then um, together, the two wrote the book for Escape to Margaritaville, which took about four years to create. Oh, that's not it, bad. Mm -mm, no. Their ultimate goal was to make a happy musical where no one dies. <laughs> <laughs> and Jimmy said he wanted folks that were fans of his music to write a musical because his previous experience had been uh, people writing. This is a quote from him. He said, because with no disrespect to the Broadway world, when we first started out, they were basically doing their version of me. Buffy sa Buffett says with a laugh, I could see that real quick. Okay. So he didn't feel like it. Uh, I guess what he, he was feeling like people were writing it who like, don't actually know his music. Don't okay. actually know his fan base. Don't actually know where any of these songs or anything came from. Um, and so it was important to him to have people who wrote the book who like actually at least lived inside of that world. Sure. Oh, that's um, fair. That's absolutely fair. Right. Yeah. And, and Jimmy's also a writer. He's written like over a dozen books. Um, and so, like he is very interested on in story. Um, what which, kind of books are like they fiction books or it's, yeah, it varies. Wow. Cool. Yeah. I didn't have any idea about that. That's neat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Greg and Mike came up with a story and pitched it to Jimmy. 
Jimmy was engaged and involved during the creation of the show, like the whole creation. He is on, he's in, he did so many interviews for this musical. Like he was just so involved. Yeah. He was very willing to try new things in the creation of the show, of the show. Um, And Jimmy and his team changed lyrics of their songs to accommodate the story. All right. The main care that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Tully, who's the main character, uh, was a character that Jimmy had created and was um, in his book of short stories. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, Paul Nolan ended up playing Jimmy in La Jolla and all the other iterations all the way to Broadway. And so when he first got the part, Jimmy said, you need to go to, quote unquote, bar singer school. (laughs) And so what he did was he sent him down to Florida for two weeks to this um, bar called the Green Turtle Inn, which one of the producers of the musical owned. And he worked in the bar and he played to see if he could still get people to listen to him. So he would he would like bartend, but then he would also like, you know, sometimes go on stage and sing. And it's so different than, you know, when you're at when you're in a Broadway show people purchase a ticket, sit down, and they're there literally to watch you perform. But at a bar, they're watching ESPN, you know, they're shooting the bull, they're drinking, they're Mm -hmm. paying you very little mind. So he was like, can you, if I throw you into the lion's den, like, how are you going to, how are you going (laughs) to do? Um, so yeah, they sent him over there for, for two weeks. Um, All right. So just to kind of also give you guys a little bit, a a little bit of a a backstory about how much Jimmy really, really wanted to be on Broadway. He had co-written a musical in the 90s that he'd hoped would eventually move to Broadway. In 94, Buffett began developing a musical based on Herman Wauks. I might be butchering that last name. I deeply apologize if I do. It is spelled W-O-U-K. He had a 1965 novel called Don't Stop the Carnival. Buffett wrote the music and lyrics and Woke wrote the book for the show. Don't Stop the Carnival debuted in Miami, Florida in 1997 to unfortunately negative reviews from critics. In response, the producers approached Buffett and told him that Woke needed to be fired and a more experienced playwright needed to rewrite Woke's script. Buffett refused to remove Woke from the project and any further productions of the show were canceled. Okay. Buffett turned the show into an album that was released in 1998. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Have you listened to that? I, that I did not. I was like, I don't have time for everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it, if it's out there, you know, I encourage folks to, um, if it's like easily accessible on the streaming sure. service, which I'm sure it is, then I encourage you all to listen to that. Nice. All right. So, uh, now I'm going to go ahead to the La Jolla Playhouse run. The, the La Jolla run was directed by, hmm, two time. Is that true? <laughs> I'm going to say <laughs> the, excuse me. The musical was directed by Tony Award winner and Playhouse artistic director Christopher Ashley. He won a Tony Award for Come From Away. Yeah. If okay, you all recognize, recognize that, that name. name too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
The creative team also included Tony-nominated choreographer Kelly Devine, scenic designer Walt Spangler, Tony Award-winning and now Oscar-nominated costume director Paul Taswell. This is the second show we've done about him the last couple yes, of weeks. Yes, I love it. <laughs> Tony Award-winning lighting designer Howell Binkley and two-time Tony Award-winning sound designer Brian Ronan. Escape to Margaritaville was a strictly limited engagement that kicked off La Jolla Playhouse's 2017 to 2018 season. Performances began May 16th of 2017 in advance of the official May, official May 28th opening and played through June 25th. I'm going to read a review from the San Diego Tribune, um, which I referenced earlier. Nolan, a playhouse returnee, again, this is Paul Nolan, who's playing the lead. He was in Jesus Christ Superstar there, uh, who's a fine guitarist, as well as a pleasing singer, captures the song and the moment with laid back panache. It helps the show's cause that Buffett himself was steeped in musical theater from a young age and even put up a previous show, the 1997 musical Don't Stop the Carnival. Margaritaville, though, can't entirely escape the hangups that tend to befall jukebox musicals trying to assemble a bunch of disparate, unrelated songs into something that resembles an organic feeling or even sensible story is a little like being asked to make a margarita out of a chocolate, olive, oil, and lemonade. <laughs> Fine ingredients, but they really, but do they really fit together? Mm. Some songs here do feel a little forced. The contrivances required to shoehorn Buffett's funny grapefruit juicy fruit into the story are one example. Others, though, manage to work to goofy perfection, including Volcano, which introduces a helpful and highly literal <laughs> plot twist. <laughs> and even in the bumpier moments, Garcia and O'Malley's sly wit and their disarming way of winking at musical theater convention help the whole thing go down. A bigger issue is that the show's key romantic crisis the question of what will happen to Tully and Rachel resolves with barely a wisp of dramatic tension. Margaritaville seems to lack a true 11 o'clock number, the musical theater term for the moment where the key characters' hopes and dreams reach a crucial make or break reckoning. The low-key sad but sweet come Monday is about the closest the show comes, although maybe the creators would argue that to borrow from another of Buffett's songs, it's 11 o'clock somewhere. Those issues aside, Margaritaville boasts an excellent cast led by Nolan and the Broadway season Luft. I Luff. I will give you all a list of who plays who later on. <laughs> whose best moments as the driven environmental scientist Rachel include an appealing rendition of changes in latitude, latitudes, changes in attitudes. That is Allison Luff, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. She was one of the alphabas when I was in Wicked. Oh wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yep. she's great. She's great. Yep, that's her. That's her. <laughs> um, and then uh, you'll know this person too, Lisa Howard. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Another Broadway veteran is a comic gem as Tammy, who's beset by a jerky fiance, but meets her match in Margaritaville, where pal Rachel has taken her for a bachelorette getaway. In the person of the dense but lovable brick, played by a very funny Charlie Pollock. Howard's character also introduces a welcome note of loving the skin you're in. Rima Webb is pretty wonderful as the rye proprietor Marley, 
So is Andre Ward as her hapless helper, Jamal, and Don Sparks is San Diego native, gets some of the best laughs as the cranky island burnout JD, leading the audience in a sing-along of the saucy Why Don't We Get Drunk. Some of the secondary characters, it should be said, do come off as quote-unquote types, but deep characterization isn't really this musical's mission. <laughs> Conductor, keyboardist, and musical supervisor Christopher J Janke, uh, Janke's orchestra does crisp justice to Buffett's tunes. Most of the musicians play at the back of Walt Spangler's spectacular set, which is encircled by a blue whirl that makes it feel as though we're surfing into one righteous tube. The design features some impressively slick and quick changes of locale. Most eye-popping of all is Paul Taswell's costuming and Lee J. Luca's makeup, aided by Hal Brinkley's gorgeous lighting and Brian Ronan's rich sound. On scenes introducing, no joke, a chorus line of zombies. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> At the show's official opening on Sunday night, Buffett himself joined the cast, a couple of zombies included, for a boisterous curtain call reprise of Margaritaville. And if that song's famous shaker of salt remains lost, fans of the man and his brand of breezy beachy hedonism still may have found their ideal escape. <laughs> so that's one of the more favorable reviews. There were a lot of negative reviews as well. Okay. Um, I'll read negative reviews when we get to Broadway, but you know, y'all know, I don't love dwelling on those. Cause it's right. like, you know, I mean, that's the whole purpose of our podcast, right? You know, that's cool. <laughs> I, don't, I don't love dwelling. I mean, like I'll read them, but yeah. sometimes it's just like, it's just becomes mean. Yeah. No, and, I, I agree with you completely. Yeah. Um, all right. So now this show had a lot of tryouts, you know? Okay. And so I just really snaps you know yeah. because we we do so many of these and it's always a major downfall that they like skip it yeah you know and so La Jolla was a tryout and then it the show sailed to New Orleans at the Sanger Theater it was only eight performances but still they did mm -hmm. it then they went on to Houston's Hobby Center from October 31st to November 5th and uh, sorry, the Sanger Theater was October 20th to the 28th. Okay. Then they went on to Chicago's Oriental Theater, which is now called the James L. Niederlander Theater. And that was from November 9th to December 3rd of 2017. Okay. Now, I just want to uh, talk just a teeny bit about the NOLA uh, performance because NOLA is a really um, important place in, in Jimmy Buffett's life. And um, so I'm just going to read what he said about that run. Escape to Margaritaville's launch further emphasized Jimmy Buffett's adoration for the Big Easy. As a teenager, Buffett frequented the French Quarter, playing the guitar on a street corner, singing for change. In the late 60s, Buffett formed a folk trio, the Upstairs Alliance, and headlined the Bayou Room on Bourbon Street the same summer that the New Orleans Saints came to town. Oh, wow. He attended... Mm -hmm, he attended the first New Orleans Saints game at Tulane Stadium in 1967, solidifying his position as an eternal Saints fan. He said, 
It is exciting enough to bring the song Margaritaville to life, but to be a part of the team that is bringing Escape to Margaritaville to the city and the theater where I got my start is a storybook ending even I could make up. <laughs> very sweet. That's very cool. All right. So here's the Broadway run. Now, let me ask you, do you know sure. if did they make any changes along the way? from the reviews that they got in La Jolla through the New Orleans in Chicago and Houston where did they make any changes in those venues to to spice up or to you know um i believe there were like some minor changes but it doesn't seem like there were uh major okay ones so um i do want to give a list of the sorry of the um musical numbers uh just especially for people who know his music so act one had license to chill that was the opening number fins it's five o'clock somewhere ragtop day it's my job why don't we get drunk three chords we are the people our parents warned us about the natives are restless son of a son of a sailor my head hurts, my feet stink, and I don't love Jesus. <laughs> then there was a medley of Coconut Telegraph, Last Mango in Paris, Changes in Latitudes, Changes in Attitudes. And then the end of Act One was Margaritaville. Uh, act Two starts out Volcano. So, you know, you all can go on Wikipedia and read the whole synopsis. It's quite long. I, I, I'm not going to do it. But, you know, they're in this tropical island and then all of a sudden, like they use the volcano song to there's a volcano disaster and they have to flee. Like, seriously, oh my that's in there. Oh my yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's what that so that brings in the song volcano. Then there's a song, grapefruit, juicy fruit. He went to Paris, cheeseburger in paradise, tin cup chalice, luck, oh, love and luck. Sorry. Come Monday. A pirate looks at 40, one particular harbor, and there was um, a reprise of Margaritaville at the end of the show. There kind of has to be. Of course. Of course. 100%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So then. Uh, this is one of the things I love is like Jimmy says this in several interviews. He said when they got to Broadway and they are at the Marquee Theater, he had to talk with the ushers and he said, we're not going to the principal's office. We're going to Margaritaville. So he was trying to get them to lighten up, you know, because he's like he knows his his parrot heads. They're, you know, a lively bunch. <laughs> And, you know, that's his main fan base. And those are the people who are going to buy the most tickets. Yes. So he's trying to set up, you know, a space that is welcoming of them, because I'm sure that also you were going to have a lot of newbies to the theater, you know, yes. especially the Broadway theater. Right. So it's like, you know, try to be inclusive uh, in this yes. way. Right. Yes. I I've I've posted this on um, Instagram quite a while ago. It was like right after it first happened. But um, Lin Manuel was at 
I believe it was My Fair Lady. So this is after Hamilton had blown up, after he finished his run, after all the Tony Awards. And by this time, also Moana's come out and he has an Oscar nomination and he's sort of blown up enough that like most people know who he is. But he goes to see My Fair Lady and he's enjoying it and he's laughing or whatever. And some people keep turning around and glaring at him. (laughs) And he's like, he just is like, what, like, what is going on? And he ends up having this encounter where this person is like, just keeps like, like glaring at him, just acknowledging like his laughing's too loud or something. For heaven's sake. I know, I know. And so then Lynn is just like, eventually the person like apologizes for being, you know, the worst um, and did apparently, I guess, recognize him and still chose to do that. Yeah. I was like, oof, those were some choices. Yeah. Some poor, poor choices this person made. And so he didn't put, I mean, I don't think he ever found out their name, but he definitely put that situation on blast. And he was like, they'll always make you feel like you're not welcome. But you are welcome. So come. Yes. Theater is is all inclusive. I mean, that's why it was created in the first place so that you could bring this art form to the masses, no matter how much money you made, no matter what kind of housing you lived in, no matter what the color of your skin is or the or the deciding factor of your sexual orientation, you could come and see this and you were absolutely welcome. And you were almost guaranteed to be able to see something on that stage that spoke to you directly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I just that story. I was like, if somebody who has a Pulitzer Prize winning cultural juggernaut still gets glared at. Yeah. then what Jimmy did has to still be done. I agree. I you know, the thing is, <laughs> it needs to obviously it needs to start with the price of ticket, the price of admission. Well, totally, right? totally. Because from the point of view of this person that was doing the glaring, she or he spent hundreds of dollars for this ticket to have it ruined by someone else that was in the audience. Now, we don't consider that when we go to a movie because you're spending less than 20 bucks on a ticket. And if someone is laughing really loudly, oh, well, like it's not that big a deal. Although I will tell you, I've had it's I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm saying not a big deal, but it's like, it's not, the stakes are not as high, Yeah. but to go to a show where you're paying hundreds of dollars for just your seat. And then if you're with someone hundreds of dollars for their seat mm-hmm. and to have that experience diminished in whatever way that that is. Now, I also feel that that's somehow kind of a microaggression oh. because yeah, yeah. <laughs> We white people don't like to react vocally when we yeah. go to shows and when we go to movies so or church I'm, or church. So I am very certain that that was part of it as well. Yeah. But that's another conversation in, in the, the instance that I'm bringing up right now. Yeah. You know, yeah, you go there and you spend that amount of money and you probably bought dinner beforehand and you made this mm-hmm. whole thing. That's, it's a special event. It's not just like throw on some jeans and go to the theater. It's like get dressed up and it's a date night and yeah. it's exciting and it's all in the air. And then, you know, you feel like it's all been ruined, but that's not the case. And in fact, I would say that it makes the experience even that much better 
when the audience does react, when you oh, do I hear the agree. laughter and the clapping and the gasps. And, right. you know, like that is the fun part because that truly means that you are seeing a show that no one else will see. That's right. I, I absolutely agree. And it's not like he was being disruptive in this way no. that's like, he like he hated it. Right. Lynn loves every he's like he just like <laughs> everything, even if it's not good. It's like yeah. you tried. I'm on your side. You know what that I mean? was that was a good joke. Ha ha ha. You know, like it yes. just really like he just, you know, and yes. so it's like I've been in spaces where people were disruptive in ways where they did not like the show. Yeah. And that really, that I find frustrating. That that's, is really that's frustrating. highly upsetting. Like if you yeah. really don't enjoy it, go leave. to the, go to the box office, get your money back and go. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Just leave because don't let the door hit you on the way out. I, I, I loathe, I loathe that. Totally. Uh, but you know, he wasn't doing that. No. So, and, 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 you know, Jimmy's choice to, to, to do this again, yeah. I really believe he was like, I know that a lot of people that support me don't probably don't go often and so like let's let's accommodate the fact that it's going to be people who don't know the protocol so yeah. try to be you know uh kind. it kind of brings me back to my fair lady to be honest and the scene where eliza yeah. doolittle goes to the horse races and like everyone yeah. is just standing stock still mm -hmm. and they're all quote unquote enjoying themselves but then yeah. she finally goes move you blooming off and then it was yeah. like okay there she is <laughs> Yeah. And I'm sure I, I can, I can say with certainty that the discomfort that a parrot head would find in a Broadway theater is probably yeah. the same that I would find in a crowded auditorium full of uh, concert goers, not mm -hmm. necessarily because of what's going on on stage, but because I do not like being in that circumstance. Yeah. So that's awesome. I love that he did that. And I love yeah. that the ushers, cause the usher is a, it's a union usher. If yeah. uh, people aren't aware, um, to be an usher in a New York Broadway theater house, it, there is a union. Mm -hmm. So you have to follow a bunch of different rules. And I don't know what those rules are, obviously, cause I was not in that union, but in order to do the anything within a union, you have to have discussions and vote and all of that stuff. So right. the fact that they all were like, yes, this sounds really fun. Awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's even better. I love it. Yeah, it's good. So then, all right. So the musical premiered on Broadway at the Marquee on February 16th of 2018, prior to a March 15th, 2018 opening. The principal Broadway cast was Allison Luff as Rachel, Paul Alexander Nolan as Tully, Lisa Howard as Tammy, Eric Peterson as Brick, Don Sparks as JD, Andre Ward as Jamal and Ted, and Rima Webb as Marley. Additional creative team, some of these people I may have said before everyone, so uh, forgive me, but they also did multiple things. <laughs> so just take that into account. Music was orchestrated by Michael Utley. Vocal and incidental music was arranged by Christopher Janke. Scenic design, Walt Sprank, Sprank, Spangler. I already said costume design by Paul Taswell. Lighting design by Howell. Sound design by Brian Ronan. Hair, wig, and makeup design by Leah J. Locus. Executive producers were Grove Entertainment, General Manager, Foresight Theatrical, Alan Williams and Lane Marsh, company manager, Katie Pope, assistant company manager, Andrew Joy. 
production manager, Juniper Street Productions, production stage manager, Kim Vernis, stage manager, Megan Schneid, stage managers. Okay. Can I just, I just need to pause for a second <laughs> because one of the, the videos that went around on Instagram and probably also TikTok that made like, I made me emotional, didn't cry, not a big crier, but at least like, it was like warming to my heart was when theater started coming back and there was like mm -hmm. this stage manager uh, video. It was a bunch of stage managers all across the country, wait, world. Yeah. And they they were doing the countdown. Have you seen this video, <laughs> Pamela? Have. And um, I did cry a little bit. Right? <laughs> I just yeah. loved it. I love yeah. that. So I just had to pause a little bit as I announced uh, Megan Schneid. I don't know Megan, but I just <laughs> wanted to say about stage managers and how that warmed my heart. Yeah, definitely. Uh, assistant stage manager, Janet Takami, uh, musical supervisor, again, Christopher Janke, musical coordinator, Michael Keller and Michael Aaron's music consultant, Mac McAnally and the um, can. The orchestra was conducted by Christopher Janke. I was, I was, I paused because I was like, am I, I was going to change the word in like change. And then I was like, I don't think that's correct. Anyway, uh, it's yeah, I'm just conducted by. Okay. It's conductor. Condu I know, conductor. but that's not, it was like, <laughs> I was going to be like, conduction was by that's not how that's not that's incorrect it was electric <laughs> and I was like I can't I just stopped my brain from saying it yeah sorry about that okay uh from a June 2nd 2017 article featured in kpbs.org by Susan Murphy Buffett said that sitting in the audience brought him waves of emotion he said, there's a lot of it that I made up and a lot of it that I lived. So that emotion comes running through there. The events that led to certain lyrics that were written about real people. He went on to say that if you're honest with yourself, you have to recognize that fun is even more important than, than it was when it wasn't such a crazy world out there. Mm. And as the world gets more frightening and more serious these days, I think it's much more people used to just want to go. I think they have to go now. And it's, that's 2017. Look at us at 2022 y'all. Yeah. Like in the middle of maybe world war three oh and gosh. a pandemic. And I mean, it's like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, and I, I want to say, you know, Mike O'Malley said the same thing when Ogonquin did it, like I said, this past summer, summer, 2021, when he did that interview. And of course that was, you know, while we're in the middle of the pandemic, but you know, theater had just started to reopen. And so here we are again at this, another crossroads of darkness. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're talking about this musical that, um, you know, was just written for joy. Like it was just written to make people smile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So the musical ended up closing on July 1st of 2018 after 29 previews and 124 regular performances. Uh, but after its closing, it performed at PBS's at Capitol 4th on July 4th in Washington, D.C. Um, I do want to just 
read some of the reviews before I talk about why it closed financially. Okay. Um, all right. So the, the usual suspects, uh, I wanted to do what well, I wanted to do the late, great Terry teach out. I'm going to read his. <laughs> The jukebox musical in which the back catalog of a songwriter and or pop star is repurposed as the score to a stage show is one of Broadway's staple items. Rarely are such shows any good, but some have been hits and hope springs eternal in the cash hungry hearts of theatrical producers and superannuated rockers. That's why Escape to Margaritaville, whose score consists of 26 songs by Jimmy Buffett, has arrived on Broadway after preliminary runs in the Hoya. Chicago and New Orleans, even though the 71 year old Mr. Buffett is, well, I don't feel like this is nice, but it's very old news. Margaritaville, his first and biggest hit single was released four decades ago. A group of hard nosed businessmen is betting that this, his amiable brand of what he calls drunken Caribbean rock and roll is still popular enough to rope in a slice of the tourists who couldn't wangle tickets to Hamilton. I don't think people who are going to who want to see Hamilton were going to go right. see Escape to Margarita. Yeah. I don't there's, think that's a, a great comparison. Right. Totally <laughs> different. Totally different. And one thing I had learned, I learned a lot from the um, documentary. But one of the things I learned is like this is called trop rock. Oh. Didn't know that was a genre. Tropical rock. Yeah. So they, <laughs> they shortened it to trop rock. OK. Yeah. Uh, New York Times, Jesse Green. The story concocted from cliches that were already droopy when they appeared in almost every other jukebox musical ever written does not require you to put your thinking cap on. Mostly it asks that you notice the winking way it sets up situations that will later make Mr. Buffett's lyrics seem as if they were custom fitted to the yarn rather than the other way around. I feel like that's uh, that's a legit review because that's what happens. Yeah. You know, that that's why you know, jukebox musicals are right, you know, because that happens so often. Um, all right. And so next, what I'm going to do is I, this, this is my nerdiness that I find interesting, right? So literally, and I think you all know this about me already is before the pandemic, when I was trying to decide what shows I was going to go see first, I am the nerd who like to check the Broadway weekly grosses <laughs> because the Broadway weekly, weekly grosses are what lets me know how much time I have. Okay. Yes. So, um, basically, you know, we do flops, but if you remember when we did our Hal Prince episode, that word is usually used for a financial flop. It does not always mean the show is an artistic flop, right? You know, and there are a lot of shows I would say that were not artistic flops. You know, Scottsboro Boys, not an artistic flop. I would say that about Shuffle Along is not an artistic flop. Uh, I love title of show, not an artistic flop. It's just financials. Yeah. And the art and the art of it, it's 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 so expensive to have a show on Broadway that that's why about 75 percent of shows are not, quote unquote, successful. But that's financials. That's not art art. Right. It doesn't mean it wasn't a good show. It just right. didn't find its audience. That's right. Soon enough. <laughs> Soon enough. Soon enough. Uh, through. So this is from the article I said from New York Ticks. 
Throughout the run thus far, taking into account all reported box office figures, which is uh, all but the final current week. So that that's when this was posted was about like before the final week. The top ticket price was $247. Okay, that's not bad. The average paid throughout the run was $83.38. Okay. And the audience had been filled up to about an average of 62.9% of its capacity. See, that's not bad either. Uh, well, but let's, let's look at the weekly gross. Okay. okay. In the last reported week, again, this is the like two weeks technically before closing. Um, the week ending June 24th, 2018, the show was a slight, had a, saw a slight uptick from the week before, bringing it to a weekly gross of $567,991, I'm sorry, $567,991, okay. which represented 32.4% of the show's gross potential. So that's not amazing. No. Especially when you're looking at, um, and this was not in the article or I, it might have been, but I did not pick up this number, but it really depends on how much it costs to run the show weekly. Right. Yes. If it costs so, you a million dollars to do the show weekly and you're only making five, uh, 568, let's just round up uh, yeah. 568, then yeah, you're going to be closing pretty soon. Yeah. You, usually um, the, the, just the weekly grosses or I'm sorry, the weekly runs and again, this was up till about 2020 before the pandemic. What I saw was between, it was like up to about 400,000 a week. Okay. Uh, so, so if you're talking about that and then you have, you know, you're only the, the, you know, hundred thousand after that is then spread among all the other things that they have to pay towards. I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard. And again, this $500,000 was an uptick. Yeah. Right. So let's remember that, that, that was like, this is like one of the highest weeks it ever had. Wow. Okay. Escape to Margaritaville had an initial capitalization of 15 million. That's 28, sorry, $2018, $2022 is that's almost 17 million. Okay. Um, it is certain that the show has not recouped its investment. Nevertheless, it will likely go on to play regional and amateur venues, which it sure. absolutely did any throughout the country. Theater would be that would be a brilliant marketing to any any theater that is close to the water. Put the show on. Well, I, I mean, although I will tell you again uh, from looking at the documentary. Mm -hmm. So they have their fan club chapters all over the country and okay. I'm sorry, all over the world. Yeah. And some of them are, some of the largest ones are in the most landlocked states. <laughs> okay. So, you know, if you know that you have, and they have these huge conventions every year, you know, yeah. some, some of these, um, there's one major convention and then some of the like, um, there's some smaller areas that will have like a big festival okay. um, as well. So, you know, if you put the show in spaces like in places like that, it's, yeah. it's going to do well. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. So 
A non-equity national tour launched in Providence, Rhode Island in September of 2019. And then, of course, the tour was suspended because of COVID-19. And then it resumed uh, September 2021. So, and it's of course available for licensing and, and all of those things. And as I already stated, you know, Mike O'Malley did an interview for the Ogonquint this past summer. So it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's running as a tour, but also like Pamela said in regional, it's amateur, all types of places. So it'll, it'll be, it's going to be fine. And, um, you know, I, this is just like kind of a side thing that, I just also found really fascinating about Jimmy Buffett's was watching one of his other interviews that was on the Today Show. And they talked about how much his net worth is. And he talked about how when he was first starting out and he was totally broke, he applied to, uh, because he'd gone to uni for uh, journalism. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Not either. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And so he ended up writing for Billboard for two years. And he said in writing for Billboard magazine for two years, he learned a lot about famous musicians allowing people to manage their money and Mm. losing everything. Yeah. And so that's how he learned not to lose everything. So he's worth a lot. Multi millions. Nice. And it's, you know, it's because not just the music. I mean, Cheeseburger in Paradise, the restaurant. Like, yeah. He, I think he has resorts. He was definitely trying to build one here in New York City. Okay. Yeah. Um, I I found it. Yeah. The Bloomberg article I found. So, you know, he, he's really, he's smart. He's really smart. Absolutely. Well, and the thing is, he knows who he is as a performer. Yeah. Super and he knows, knows his branding. And he, he knows, knows his, his audience. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Super yeah. smart. Love it. Yeah, he really is. Nice. So that's Escape to Margaritaville, friends. It's, you know, I listened to the cast recording on Spotify, but also, I mean, you could just listen to Jimmy Buffett music. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, it's the same. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and so, so that's it. That's, that's what I've got. Cool. It's touring. You know, Yay. if you want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. So I think uh, that was our little grouping of, this will probably be the last of our little grouping of jukeboxes. Yes. Cause I don't um, really, I can't really think of any other, I mean, I'm sure that there are others that. We yeah. And we have them on the list. Time. I'm but fairly like, certain they probably all kind of fall into the same formula of failure and success. It's like, you know. What I've loved about this conversation, though, are the different approaches. And it's interesting mm-hmm. because I feel like Escape to Margaritaville is really a lot like the good vibrations approach. Yeah. Right. Where you take the songs and then you try to formulate some sort of book around the songs. Right. Um, and then we talked about Summer, the Donna Summer musical. And uh, Lennon. and Lennon, which were actually about the lives of John Lennon and Donna Summer. Uh, but and so like in in Donna Summer's musical, it was like a retrospective as in the context of her having a concert. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Lennon's was like uh, it was a retrospective, but not necessarily on his music career, but yeah. more just the last decade of his life right. as 
performer, activist, and husband. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that these wide ranging approaches and also the variance of success, like Mamma Mia was, uh, is ABBA songs that a book was formulated around, but it was a financial success. Yeah. Um, and then you have Jersey Boys, mm -hmm. which is a musical that's about Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons and not right. it's their music, but also about them. Mm -hmm. And that was a financial and artistic success. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's just like. You don't and know what's going to. Well, and I said it at the <laughs> beginning of the episode, art is subjective. Yeah, you, it's it's not truly something that you can recreate each time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we can see that with absolute evidence watching the career of both Sondheim and Hal Prince, right? Oh. Because they had multi, like just multiple successes that we all love and talk about to this day, but then they also had major flops. That we also love and talk about and to this exactly. day. It's true, but because... <laughs> Because artistically speaking, they're still the same people. Yeah. They still create amazing things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it just was a financial failure. Yeah. It's really, it is really interesting. It's, it's just what, gosh, I look at a show like Phantom of the Opera, mm -hmm. which is 30 plus years. I don't even remember now. Yeah. It's, been so, it's 30 plus years, That's but right. I can't remember the exact number. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it start no, almost 40 years. Right. Well, now I can't remember. So I'm going to have to look that up, but, or actually you look it up and I'll talk. Okay. Talk. You look at a show like Phantom of the Opera, which I don't necessarily think is that great a show. And I'm, I know that that's somewhat controversial seeing as they paid me for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that so many people love it. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't love it. I'm saying oh, 86. Okay. So we're almost coming up on 40. Yeah. Years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing is it hit at the right time on the, with the right crowd, with the right people in it and surrounding it. And that has created this successful show that I don't know would be successful today. Or if yeah. they had just, if they had waited 10 years or if they had had a different uh, lead character, do you know, like, so it's, there's so much that is luck yeah. in this business that yes, yeah. you can kind of like, you can follow a formula of success and sometimes you win and sometimes you lose, but yeah. like it really, there is so much of it that is just the lightning struck at the exact right moment. And that that's what it's magic. Broadway musical is magic. <laughs> it's, true. Uh, it's true. It's true. All right, friends. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Yes. Thank you very much for coming. I have <laughs> had a lovely time speaking with you. <laughs> thank you for listening to our podcast, Theater Geeks Anonymous. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at T-G-A-B-Way. And on Facebook at Theater Geeks Anonymous. And if you want to tell us how much you love us, 
or you have a great story about one of the shows we've talked about, drop us a note at tgabway at gmail.com. Until next time, geeks. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.